casual and it usually yeah. tends to be quite loopy. So yeah, I looked at you and I started laughing again. What? What uh, loopy? Komal, not you, not you, Komal. Oh. <laughs> the other Andy. <laughs> the real Andy, what's this other Andy business? Yeah, I don't so know. He's he's uh, Andy too now. You are the Andy. <laughs> yeah, you're the first one. Okay, shall we start? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess first we should introduce Andy. How do we know Andy? Um, Andy joined as a PhD student with my supervisor, uh, Jason Pitt, about two years ago. Uh, so he's been working with him. He'll he'll probably give you the his bio himself but that's that's how I know him we used to work together uh, but then we also became good friends we hang out Komal also works kind of works in the same lab I never know um, what is your affiliation with yeah Jason. actually there's no capacity. real affiliation it's just that when uh, I think initially my professor just linked me up with his uh, mentor Jason because I needed some bioinformatics uh, support and just that's yeah. how we connected yeah so we yep. all work together but then we also hang out uh, maybe that's a good intro. Do you guys want to talk about Halloween party and explain why Komal is wearing a wig? Yes, so last Friday we had the Halloween party and I became, I cosplayed as the Andy. That's the <laughs> why? Clearly, clearly. Of all things. Was, was this planned? Like, how long ago have you thought of doing this cosplay? I knew two weeks before, which is when we do Two weeks? You. Yeah, I think when we were yeah when we were discussing on the Telegram group, that's when I was like, I'm gonna be the Andy. Why? Was <laughs> the Andy? There's there's no more what reason. What space it. were you in? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay. All right. Do you do you want to introduce yourself in however okay. way? I guess just can you say about um i guess what what you studied does that i guess puts ah, i'm so context. bad at introduction yeah okay yeah yeah i mean super so and then what do you do uh, now okay well was doing like a life story like what my background yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk about your life <laughs> anything that's okay. relevant slash interesting yeah so i'm andy hey. uh came from a biology biology background i guess just since the beginning, didn't really shift much. I mean, I kind of like did sciences. And I know I like sciences. Yeah. Since uh, what secondary school or like high school, I I don't know what was your target audience. <laughs> so anyway, uh, then I really got into science. I went to uh, my for my tertiary education. I was doing uh biomedical sciences in a polytechnic, and got more into molecular biology, mm-hmm. and got especially interested in DNA, anything DNA related, because there's like the blueprint of life itself, right? Yep. And then later on, I went to life sciences in uh, NUS, in Singapore, NUS. And through that, suddenly I branched into a bit into computer science. And after that, I specialized in bioinformatics. Then for my whole PhD now, I'm just working on bioinformatics, but research topics are centering around cancer genomics and method development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's quite nice. We can, we'll go into the details of what you do, but uh, sure. how, did, how did the fascination with um, computer science start actually? Do you have like a defined moment or 
was that just something you picked up along the way like randomly okay, you know that, that that's the weird thing i i thought i got into computer science only during uni because mm-hmm. there was a year one compulsory module where all science students have to take this uh, basic programming module just to get everyone to do more like computational thinking they're trying to like branch into like, oh, now everyone needs to have this kind of like a soft skill for programming. So that was the attempt starting from my batch. So when I first took that, I got very into it. So mm-hmm. I really like uh programming. Like it's just fun, you know, just write, you write, uh, write code, you problem solve. I think because I really like to problem solve and the whole computer science is, at, at least the way the education is structured is all around like solving problems. Mm. Like they give you a scenario, a problem, you dissect it, you find out how you're gonna write an algorithm to solve it. Yeah, so that whole process, I really like it, and it's kind of like in, in science also. A lot of things is also problem solving in science. So I thought that year one was when I really got into computer science, but I was digging some of my old documents in the past from one of my old computers, and I found that there was a primary school essay that mm-hmm. for wow. some reason I still have it and, and, the, and the title was something about like what, what I want to do in the future oh. and I did write I want to be a programmer and I don't even remember I ever said that before in my <laughs> life so I don't know maybe this programming thing has always been like just subconscious and it got oh. brought up like forcefully brought up during that's uni cool. yeah oh, that's really cool oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. the, thing, the thing you said about problem solving uh, yeah. I'm going to sound like a parent because I've been saying the same thing for multiple episodes now. But last week when we were talking with Anya, uh, she mm-hmm. brought this up too, but I guess a bit more for math. But she was basically saying how it's very easy to get addicted to math because you learn the concepts and then you have these questions, you solve them, you get like immediate feedback, you know that you're getting the right answer. So in some ways, it's, you know, uh, very quick. And I, I did feel like uh, programming is like that also with me. Like I, I use the phrase, it's very ADHD friendly. Um, you can like obsess over it and you can, you know, uh, kind of go on your own pace. Yeah, there's some sense of assurance in programming and math also where things can be determined. It's not random, you know, like in stochasticity exists in science, especially at biology, right? You say, okay, you yeah. do this, it may happen that way. That's that's why statistics was kind of invented like, to, to look to tell what's actually real or significantly based on what we agree on. But like when it comes to math, like the former math and computer science programming, when you write line by line, you, you say you do this, it will do this. It won't like randomly, unless at the, at the, I don't know, at the transistor level, that, that, that thing short circuit. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that thing is supposed to be a one is zero. Yeah, but other than that, it's very deterministic. I think that's the nice thing I like about like programming and math also. But I think most people don't really like math because uh, I guess the way it was taught is more like memorization, right? Yeah. You you get this kind of problem. This is the exact formula you use. Then there's no reasoning why, what, what, what that formula mm-hmm. even means. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. That's true, yeah, actually. I... Even, even like during our school times, they teach you trigonometry. Trigonometry is still actually something you can at least yeah. understand from some examples, like this pole and this height, this, that. But like for a lot of things, it's just really this formula and you find this you differentiate this and you find this um yeah. it's a bit difficult to visualize true and so, like this also i mentioned but i really feel like teachers make all the difference some some teachers who can like yeah. put it into context explain you the concepts 
yeah. that will really stay stay with you like yeah oh in yeah so point, sorry mm-hmm. go on go on i was just uh, saying in the in one of the previous episodes we d- discussed about wet lab versus dry lab and how both of us are a bit hybrid and i guess you have also done some wet lab during your training how was that like when was that and how was your experience <laughs> yeah. so yeah like i mentioned I, during my tertiary education was biomedical sciences right so i did have my own internship and fyp also as part of polytechnic it's a three-year program so at the third year it's a final year you also go through like internship and fyp you have a project so i was also doing like cell culture drug treatment the standard stuff that's where i really got first got into wet lab uh it it was fun to learn things but after that it gets very like boring you know like daily like you gotta <laughs> keep the cell alive split it <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have. So, I'm even have upon any... myself right now. Like, there's no cells in culture. There are no <laughs> cells in culture. When when Andy said uh, split cells, I'm reminded of his uh, infamous Thanos technique. Is this information <laughs> that's allowed to uh, be divulged? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too, but I didn't know if uh, the world is ready to know. Yeah, that. I don't know if the world is ready. But this I was a technique invented during uni. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to describe what it is. And I'm going to say why it's yeah. not good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, good. Let's do it. So the Thanos Passage <laughs> is where you take your T75 flask or T95 flask, the flask of your choice, and you give it a good smack. <laughs> <laughs> and ideally, half the population will detach. So this is for like adherent cells, okay? not, not like suspension culture. So yeah. you smack it and... Hopefully half of them roughly like <laughs> comes out, then you remove the media and you, you add new media. So so it's very fast, you split you massage it really quickly. But the problem is you're probably selecting for cells that happen to be better at attaching to the surface. Or you might oh. introduce some weird like physical stress to the cells. So uh not recommended, but if you really need to do something quick in like five minutes. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I, rec- I still recommend the tripsing but, uh, method. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But we know that it works. Uh, I know. I was yes. very surprised I when I heard. Yeah. Oh, you have tested it? No, no. no you I, know. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if it. Yeah. I mean, it happened, but I don't know whether the cells are. I have, so, I have not do done Thanos you... split, but like sometimes like HEK 293D cells, they are really very like non adherent. So whenever you have to harvest, sometimes I would just like. Put PBS very strongly and they will come peel, peel off. Similar, yeah. Yes, but, I was just wondering, do you uh, yeah. optimize uh-huh. the smacking force based on how adherent the cells are? No, no. It was, so I was mostly working on Hep G2 cells, which is the liver cell line. I I just smack according to what I'm used to. <laughs> it's just by eye. <laughs> just, sometimes you gotta smack twice. I don't know. Not write a standardized protocol. <laughs> yeah, no standardized protocol. It's kind of like cooking. It's, it's just on the go. Yes. No recipes. <laughs> okay. Not recommended. Please do not try that. Yeah, he can say that. That, that doesn't, doesn't go into the star anymore. methods. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, okay, fine. Uh, what was it like then uh, transitioning mm. from mm. wet lab into a fully bioinformatics PhD? I'm not sure if you had done much before you started. Uh, but yeah, what was that that process? Done like? what? Bioinformatics or yeah, well, like, yeah, like leaving the bioinformatics and moving because on to when you came, 
Yeah, when you came into the PhD, it was a, it's fully dry lab, right? You don't do any wet lab. Yeah, it's fully dry. I honestly don't think anyone is ever ready to do fully biomedics. Hmm. You just learn on the go. Like, hmm. even like most of the things I'm doing now, right? I learned it during year one. And like, year there's no formal PhD. lessons. Yeah, year one of my PhD. There's no formal lessons. No one's telling you how, how you do it. Just go around reading up, looking at documentations. So you you are kind of exposed to some bioinformatics concepts like NGS, pipelines, RNA, SIG, like the standard, like what are these terms? Yeah. What are the process people do? Like you kind of learn this during your undergrad if you are fortunate enough to take some of the, those bioinformatics modules. There's not a lot of these kind of modules also. It's... I feel like it's so new that there are no formal programs yet. NUS is trying. They they, they had some computational biology degree, I believe, and that thing closed down. Yeah. After a few years, yeah. yeah. Undergrad level, right? I remember. Yeah. It's not popular, is it? It's not popular enough, plus they don't get enough lecturers and educators for it. This happened to me too. My, my, my master's degree doesn't exist in DBS anymore. They do this oh. all the time. Start something and then just close it off. Oh, oh no. Well, yeah. Uh, oh, wait. What, what, what were we saying? The transition? Uh, transition, yes. yeah. And you were saying how there's like nothing yeah. established. There's nothing, at least here in NUS. I don't see anything established for it. So yeah. you really gotta just learn on the fly, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Then... And honestly, it's not that bad. I feel like it's quite easy to pick up, you know, compared to any other skill because there's so many resources available yeah. online. Um, yeah. you have access to all the tools. There's no like paywalls usually. It's quite yeah. accessible as a field. The only thing is like you kind of have to, I guess, wade through all the the noise because some there's a lot of things out there. Um, yeah. But that's a nice problem to have. I guess. I think that's a huge problem. Like I, I get a lot of um wet lab people asking me how how to get into dry labs, how to become a bioinformatician. Mm-hmm. And most of them also begin with like, oh, I found basic coding tutorials, Python tutorials, mm-hmm. R tutorials, or so I go mm-hmm. into this website and learn how to program code. But a lot of them get stuck in this thing called tutorial hell where you are just going to forever follow what the tutorial says. And mm. you kind of just going through the motion, you copy the code, but you don't really understand because you never really experiment and play around. You're like, oh, what if I screw something up instead? How do I solve it? Like, I think you learn most when you're debugging. And mm. in all these tutorials, they don't really teach you debugging. They just tell you like, okay, to do this, this is the line you write. So once you get out of there, you finish the course, you're like, okay, what next? I don't know. Let me go to the next tutorial again. Then mm. it repeats. That's why it's called tutorial hell. I think I see that term a, a few times online also on Reddit. I see. So the only way to get out of it is to like actually do a personal project. Mm. I feel. Or like really apply it to your current research. Right. Yeah. So probably something where there isn't a full start to end tutorial for. And you really got to fill in the blanks yourself. And when you get stuck, you just go Google biostars or even chat gpt now has so many like like suggestions like rough like they give you like rough outline of how do you structure code mm-hmm. yeah it's that they are actually good resources now so i think 
to if you're really gonna like transition successfully and really start to like confidently say that you you can do some of these things right without any help right then you really gotta like do a project personal project mm-hmm. at least that's how i got into it yeah yeah that yeah. makes sense yeah i there's a few things i want to follow up on we definitely will yeah. come back to the chat gpt thing i think that's quite interesting uh mm-hmm. but maybe now is a good time to just i guess um like could you say a bit more about what you do now what's mm. what's with the mutational signatures why is it so mm-hmm. hype? Uh, <laughs> and what's is there meat on the board that's what so i want the expert from the expert explain. yes the expert. I mean, I only have like okay, one two, of the two years, two, <laughs> two enough, years experience. <laughs> so, mutation signatures. Okay, everything I'm going to say now is based on my understanding. Could be wrong. There could be some mutation signature expert that find this podcast in the future. <laughs> and like, I disagree. No. That's not how things are. <laughs> okay, but from at least my journey, um, it's still under the line of looking at mutations of cancer, right? And looking at the DNA mutations. After variant calling in a pipeline, you get a bunch of mutations. So in the past, they look for driver genes, like which important genes are mutated. And they actually have signatures for that. A set of genes, that is the marker. Like if there's this group of genes that are mutated, then there's one signature. So there's more during the past where it is more expensive to sequence, so you do whole exome only, very targeted sequencing, just certain genes. But now you can do whole genome cheaper. It's still kind of expensive, but it's cheaper now. The more labs have access to just whole genome sequencing. And because of that, you cannot even look at mutations that are not in the genes, but like in just non-coding regions, things that may be important or not important. So in like 2013, this guy, uh, Alexandrov, and a few others, I forgot their names, I'm sorry. They they used uh, NMF, which is called non-negative matrix factorization. It's just a way to reduce dimensions. So because you you can you have so many mutations in a genome and they are grouped. So they kind of like group it in this uh trinucleotide context, which means just okay, we have this mutation and what what is that context sequence context around that mutation? So they just uh to cut it short, they just have a set of ninety six features, and you wanna reduce that dimension to a set of smaller set, and those sets are what's called signatures, and those ideally should be able to kind of represent the whole mutation pattern of a given sample. So they use NMF to to reduce that dimension to extract. Se- important signatures and then it just became like identifying and naming things for the next 10 years they get more samples they sequence more they extract more signatures and and just do associations like oh there's this set of signatures that are always in this set of organs or in these set of phenotypes and they just try and draw links and say okay so this signature certain signature a it means what signature b means what so you have different kind of annotations like tobacco smoking, UV, uh, HRD. Uh, do I need to explain abbreviations? No, no, no. <laughs> Come back to yeah, HRD, APOBAC, uh, ROS, everything. Like, they have a lot. So there's this whole catalog now of signatures. And whether there is still meat on the bone in terms of identifying new signatures, I don't think so. 
it's probably reaching a saturation now that's like over a hundred plus signatures. Mm. They they still come up with like one, two signatures every like big study, but mm-hmm. it's really reached its saturation point. And right now, I think there's controversy on whether these signatures are even real or not. Oh, which really? ones are just technical artifacts. Yeah, because oh. mm. there are cases where you can't really reproduce the results. Say like they say they found this certain signature, yet if you try it on a different system with the same phenotype, you don't see the same signature. So, and there are two major groups now. Um, one is Serena, and one is Alexandrovs. These two groups. Serena is more in the... together at some point. Were they in? The they same? were together. Yeah. Really? So I think they split up in twenty. 20- either 2013 or 2015 because in an original 2013 paper they were together in yeah. as authors yeah I think they split up Serena went to the more clinical side of it clinical application of signatures mm-hmm. Alexandro is still more focused on the technicals of it like right. identifying signatures yeah so there's a debate of like whether signatures should look at them like elements of the periodic table, like everything broken down to one like undividable element, like hydrogen, just hydrogen. Mm. Whereas Serena, on the other hand, is like, no, uh, uh, signatures are more like compounds, like water, where this signature equals this uh, phenotype. Even though you, you Serena's so-called signature one can be broken down into Alessandro signature 1A, 1B, they say that's, that doesn't matter. I don't care why it's 1A, 1B. As long as there's signature 1 in this sample, it means this. So clinical. So there's this debate now. And it's still happening. In recent papers, they're still kind of fighting each other. I don't know what's happening also. I you see. can see some drama on Twitter or X. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bioarchive, you can see them shooting each other also. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's drama. So yeah. Mutation signatures is a very spicy thing. Everyone's jumping onto it because whole genome is kind of easy. Every lab will be like, okay, let's just send all our samples now for whole genome right. sequencing and yeah, just run this pipeline that is kind of like well established already and mm. see what signatures we get. Then we just add that as one of the section at the end of our paper. Yeah, that's, that's, that's at least how I see mutation signatures have been used. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool intro. And I, I, I thought, so when I first heard about it, right, I can't remember if it was... Um, like there's this particular story I have in mind. I don't know if it was in a review paper or if, whether this was Steve Rosen, um, you know, the guy who whose lab from which uh, Alexandra is from, where he originally developed this. Uh, so he took a class where he talked about this. I can't remember exactly where, but I remember this analogy of um, basically they were trying to explain NMF and this uh, signature extraction process where you have like this um, noisy complex sort of source. So let's say you have a audio file, you have some recording, uh, then there is the thing you, there's the music that you want to listen to. There is some noise in the background. Maybe the music itself is made up of multiple sort of different elements. Um, And what NMF can sort of do is like you feed it this input and then it sort of separates out these unique patterns. Maybe it gets the noise separately. Um, I don't know how far the analogy goes. Uh, but that was that was that was what was given, and then in that context, if you try to look at the cancer genome, that's quite interesting because that's what drew me to it. Also, there could be yeah. all these different processes that are going on in the cell, but they all give rise to a unique pattern of mutations. 
Um, and at least given what I was working on, that was very tempting to me because in a way that is what I was trying to find, find out. Are there like specific processes uh, that are active in my system? So I was super excited when I first heard about it. But yeah, working with it, trying to you know get, get it to work um, has been a bit challenging. It feels a bit nebulous yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I think the, 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 the audio thing you were saying, I think it's called the blind source separation problem. I heard of that also, mm-hmm. but it was not not for NMF, oh, but basically for anything that is dimensionality reduction problems. Mm. Same okay. same concept, exactly same concept. It's, the idea is really to pick up things that are like, like what you said, an audio, and you see, okay, there's this instrument. How much of the instrument is involved in an instrument? Yeah? And then, because when you first get the full raw data, it's just everything combined. So it's just any combination of all these things. And the, the interesting thing is NMF is originally, I don't know, maybe originally, but very popularly used in recommendations for movies mm-hmm. and songs. So if you search for NMF online for tutorials on how to implement NMF, they always use a recommendation system as, a, as an example. So like Spotify or Netflix, you get the user's preference their user and the type of movies that they watch, what they like, and they extract it. And there are certain demographic of user base. This set of users will tend to like this kind of music. So that's the recommendation. So that, that signature is like the user, like that demographic. Mm-hmm. So then it kind of got like used in other things because NMF just matters. That's why I like about matters. You know, you can always take, borrow ideas from different fields. They're basically, in the end, it's just numbers. How do you like do certain things with certain numbers? And you can just borrow the ideas. Like in 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 NMF, it was used everywhere else, like audio recognition, uh, movie recommendation, and now we used it in RNA also. And now we are using it in genome mutation signatures. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So you are in year two. Have you finished the PQA you have? Year right? three, year three. Year three, sorry. Just finished year two, started year three. Yep. Um, and you've already published. Well, um, oh. in, in what journal is this again? Briefings, briefings in bioinformatics. Briefings in bioinformatics, yes. Yeah. So this is, I guess, at least in the a wet lab context, a quite mm-hmm. um, rare phenomena, right? Usually the bio biology, let's say, biology PhDs tend to be like you spend four years, you work on maybe two or three projects, and they're all meant to be super long-term. And I guess... I don't know like the exact numbers on it, but at least from looking around, it seems like if you get a paper within those four, maybe plus one or five years, that's usually considered like unlikely even sometimes. Like not everybody makes it out um, with the page pa- uh, paper in, in those four or five years. Right. So I was just wondering, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you think it's different or maybe, you know, just comparing uh, bioinformatics with that and what your experience was like actually going through mm. the publication process yeah so i think if it's for pure dry lab work right publishing within one year should be fine because data is all up there just download and process them like public publicly available data if mm. you gotta like generate your own data which means wet lab will be involved right you gotta treat yeah culture yeah and measure it's not surprising to take multiple years and i think that's why it will align with the traditional four years, one paper, at least like the aim, right? Yeah. Projects there are also much larger. 
so bioinformatics papers are much smaller also, more focused or like there's, there's not much to look at, no validation. I think validation is the long part also. Mm-hmm. Oh so, yeah. Uh, I would, so I would expect multiple papers for pure bioinformatics would be equal to one major wet lab paper. The wet lab can also include bioinformatics components, but it's, the main difference is whether you're going to have to generate your own data or not. And that's the one that takes a really long time. And it's expected yeah. also, yeah. So it's not like how many paper is, you know, it's like what, what kind of paper also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course it matters. Um, But what I was thinking, uh, like what I find nice about this, um, bio, it's true for bioinformatics, but I guess generally also true for like computer science and PhDs where things are uh, more fast paced, where in, in some ways you're true, the project is smaller in scope, I guess, uh, and maybe because of that by, by with impact also. But I feel, um, at least for my mind, that feels like a good trade-off to me because you you get something out uh, mm. and then hopefully you can get some feedback on it, right? Maybe people yeah. uh, get back to you. Maybe you already hear from, from, from these things. So I kind of like the model of putting out like smaller units of work and then learning mm. from it over time as opposed to having like a longer project, which I guess takes, um, you know, ju- just because it's like more ambitious in some sense. Uh, yeah. and then it just takes longer which is fine too sometimes the project like you said if you need to generate the data you just have to do that uh, but I, I thought it would be especially for people who have the option like who are I guess hybrid scientists mm-hmm. if they could take up something on the side where it's like shorter timelines they can get it out fast I feel like that would be quite um, quite helpful oh it would be nice if you are running some well lab on your in the background things that you need to wait to mm-hmm. grow or treat or send for whatever sequencing and meanwhile while waiting you're actually working on your technical yeah but then like what kind of hybrid are you are you are you a 0.5 or 0.5 or are you a 1 plus 1 you know like some people are really just a combination of a full bioinformatician and a combination mm-hmm. of like, like actual full, full lab, right then they are still hybrid but it's like yeah. they are actually equal to two people like and mm-hmm. other hybrids is like half or half I can kind of do half of this yeah. half of that yeah it depends on the person as well. Mm-hmm. Isn't it really stressful though if you want to do two? Yeah, one plus one sounds uh, <laughs> fairly like burnout, you know, like a formula for burnout. Yeah. Uh, but I guess some people... I feel more like change. a 0. 0.25, 0. 0.25. <laughs> 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 yeah. For me, the, gra- the graduation has changed a lot. When I started, it was like, 0.9 wet lab and 0.1 bioinformatics. Oh. But throughout the PhD, I've been like trying to push it more and more. Um, now I might even say maybe I'm falling more on the bioinformatics than mm. the wet lab. Mm. I think in this age, everyone should at least be a 0.1. Mm. <laughs> All right. It's kind of like now everyone knows how to use Excel, right? Maybe back then, knowing how to use Excel is a bioinformatician. It's good enough. Right. <laughs> Running Blast is a bioinformatician. Mm. But now it's like everyone gets to do that. That's kind yeah. of like you can sh- shift it under part of wet lab. Mm. Yeah. It is the data analysis of wet lab. Yeah. Yeah. True. Over time, yeah, everyone's gonna like learn more and more. So the bioinformatics is gonna do even more of the technical side. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In fact, the way I got started with bioinformatics was uh there was some RNA seq data. This was doing a rotation, um, mm. and I wanted to do a heat map. And there were some online tools, but none of them would do it in the way that I wanted it to. So I thought, I okay, I'll just learn R. Um, and that's how I got started. Like once I 
learned how to plot it, I was like, oh, this is cool stuff. I can also use it for maybe just doing the normal bar graphs instead of using GraphPad. Uh, yeah. And it was like a slow uh, expansion from there. I did not like start out with the intention of, oh, I'm going to take this programming course first because it's yeah. useful, blah, blah, blah. Would you say uh, fluent R now? Yeah, I would say fairly, fairly fluent. So I, you started because you had to use it for something. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the best way to learn. Mm. Yeah. Okay, this is uh, also a good segue. But the next thing mm -hmm. that I want to talk to you about, um, yes. this starts with another Andy story. So okay. uh, there was this one time, uh, you you should remember this. We we were, I think, hiring a new, like considering to hire a new postdoc. Oh, so I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> come uh -huh. into the lab, give a brief presentation uh, just to get to know everyone. And we were also... Uh, I guess giving like a one slide introduction of ourselves. So we had oh, the slides okay. put up on the on the <laughs> on the projector, and we're waiting for yeah. this guy to show up. So it was me, Andy, and another another friend. Uh, and while we're waiting, we're just chatting. Um, and we didn't have like a a title slide. So Andy decided he's gonna make one. He just I think you just put up something like hi or something or welcome. I don't remember, but <laughs> it was just like a, a normal welcome in the middle. And while we were waiting, Andy was clearly uh, not satisfied with how <laughs> it looks because I guess the text wasn't aligned. Uh, it was like off center in the middle or something. Uh, and the, and I kid you not, he spent like the next 10 minutes meticulously wow. moving it around, changing the size, changing the font. <laughs> the I believe that. I would say five until, minutes. Okay, maybe five minutes <laughs> until it was like perfectly done exactly how we wanted to. Uh, and then... And then he was happy. So I guess long way uh, to just say that you're someone who cares about um, visuals, how how things look, both with your plots, but also with your presentations. Um, and I think that's quite cool. I've, I've found that, frankly, like quite in inspiring. Like in the beginning, I would say I don't, I did not take my presentations very seriously. I hate making presentations. Um, but now I've, like, I try to like make, put some effort into it. Maybe not so much for the presentations, but definitely the plots because I do do think um it makes a big difference but yeah just what are your thoughts on that how how do you navigate that also how do you use PowerPoint I get so frustrated when using PowerPoint man I need so to yeah, yeah I no, for it for ages now him. I've been bugging him what is the secret this entire Andy? podcast will just know the secret there there are <laughs> no secrets what do you mean like what what <laughs> We have, we have access to the same tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my question is, how do you deal with PowerPoint? How do you make it look good? Because when I touch it... Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. I, I really like white spaces. Mm -hmm. I don't like cluttering. So even when we do bullet points with multiple lines per bullet point, I'll adjust the line spacing. And if you, you know, if you shift the line spacing... Now the next line of the same bullet points might look like it is part of the next bullet point. I, I don't know. There's no like visual. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I understood. And I'll, I'll, I'll hate that. And it's more mm. for me. You know, I don't really <laughs> care about the mm. audience. It's more for yeah, me because yeah. I'll have a hard time reading it. Like once things are in a, like, in a certain messy order, right, my mind will just tune it off. So mm -hmm. I cannot pay attention to it. That's why I, I make sure everything's aligned and like neat. That's pretty cool. I remember once I came to your bench for I don't know whatever thing, but I saw your laptop and I thought it's like some presentation or like something very well organized. And I asked you what is this about? Then you were like, these are my notes. 
Like, yeah, I'm just, just putting all my results. Like, no, it's such, in such an organized and like, it, it looks so cool. It looks so good. Just ready for a presentation. And I don't know if it was the same day, but he had like a schematic and then he clicked on it. And then you saw that the schematic was made up of like a hundred tiny little PowerPoint objects. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. oh, this is, I have not seen. This I have not seen yet. <laughs> yeah, you thought like it's, you thought it's one single figure. And then yeah, you control A image. and you realize they are all individual all... objects. Yeah. Of... <laughs> exactly. And what was that even? Shapes. What was the thing? I was just a, like a workflow, like a methodology, okay, okay. the flow of the methods. Got it, got it. I need to see this. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I don't know, it helps me because I, most of the time I make the slides for myself because I'm very, I have a lot of branching thoughts. So if I don't note it down, I'll forget. Hmm. So I have to write it down and if it's messy, I don't like to read it or view hmm. it. So it has to be neat also. Right. So it just, yeah, so it just becomes natural. Hmm. Yeah, there's no secret. I guess the only secret is like colors. But that's just you just go online and search for like complementary colors, a color yeah. palette, and just follow, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think my best, like my favorite tool is the color picker tool. I don't you know, where there's this tool where you can like move your mouse and you'll grab the exact oh, yeah, RGB yeah. or yeah. hex value of that color. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's my favorite tool. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Other than that, it's okay. just all about symmetry. If you're going to make a square, make sure it is really a square, not a mm -hmm. rectangle with one side slightly longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all. Yeah. Make sure everything um, uses the same weave. <laughs> yeah. True, true. I, I've been trying to do, do more. I saw your so recent like... slides. They're getting better. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Candy approved. I see, I see yeah. you're trying. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. With the, with the slides, it's really a struggle for me. So you know why? Because I hate moving things around manually. So so my workaround for it now is I'm I'm doing it with like these, um, I guess, LaTeX sort of thing. Not exactly LaTeX, mm. but it's it's like LaTeX. You just write stuff out and hopefully it, uh, like you don't worry about all the formatting and the, the tool takes care of it for you. Mm. So I think I've been trying that lately and that is working for me. Then I'm okay with like spending more time getting all the details right. As long as I don't have to like, click and drag and move some tiny powerpoint shape across the screen. yeah yeah i agree that's very annoying but i've been doing that also that i there is a prof back then that i saw he he makes powerpoint slides using code mm. he writes it on a terminal and you just export out like a full mm. powerpoint so everything is super aligned Mm. The title yeah. will always be there at that position. There will always be this spacing before the first heading and everything. Yeah. That's the next level. <laughs> um, if this, okay, so while we're on tools, I, I guess we also go to all these um, generative models that people are using to help. I, we don't have to talk about the whole AI stuff, like how people mm -hmm. are using AI, but more specifically, how you can use these uh, chat GPT or co-pilot kind of stuff for mm. your own programming. Do you have something to say about that? Do you use it? Copilot, uh, when I'm scripting things, yes. So it's kind of like a shortcut, so I don't have to Google it, you know, like honestly, the code that they provide you are things that are very Googleable. They they are all from Stack Overflow or mm -hmm. some other forums. So but there are some things that you only kind of need to do it once. You're not gonna it doesn't matter if you forget it again. 
like, okay, I want to pull, I don't want to write a Python code to download something and pass it through and write some files or whatever. So I, I kind of like got so lazy to Google step-by-step step how to download, like what, what a library for downloading stuff. So I just straight up, you can on Copilot on like on a VS Code with Copilot extension, just write a comment, download from what, 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 and do what, 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 and just wait. And the next line, you'll start to generate yeah. like a rough like skeleton of the whole process. Then you just follow, yeah. It's super useful. I think it cuts down your like... All this like researching time makes you like work like more productively also. So yeah, I think it's very useful. But you can't you can't trust it hundred percent. Most yeah. of the time they yeah, they'll hallucinate it a is. lot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My my use case, my favorite example is whenever I'm manipulating some text file, right? So mm. I usually do that through the command line and you have to use regular expressions, right? Oh and yes. This thing is just some arcane language that yes. is <laughs> I don't know who invented it. It's fucking hard to read, man. Like it makes no sense. Uh but since ChatGPT came out, it's been a blessing. You just literally yeah. tell it, I need to do this, and it'll give you the, the regex version of it. Um and 99% of the time it works exactly as you want it to. But of course, there are these one percent edge cases. Um, I I, told, I was telling the story last time too. I, I asked it to do some text processing and it looked like it was working perfectly fine. And I forgot about it until it was doing like a, a weird, it was adding a weird extra character that I never noticed. Um, mm. And then it it made, it basically meant that I ended the bug many, many weeks later and it took me like hours to figure out what was going wrong. So mm. I guess you do have to keep that in mind. But when it works, it works like magic. It's a godsend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, regular expression. Yes, that's one of the best use cases, I guess, for ChatGPT. It's the kind of thing that you don't even want to learn. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to know what that means. Yeah. Uh, Just tell me what to write. <laughs> Talk about what what are your plans? We talked about mutational signatures. I know mm -hmm. cancer is not really your you don't re I think you don't really plan on doing that for very long, right? You did mm -hmm. mention yeah. you have interest in aging. That seems like something you're fairly interested in. Uh, so do yeah. you have plans of transitioning? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to continue with research? Maybe yeah, definitely research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely continue research. Just what topic, right? That's why I'm yeah. working more on methods because you can bring that to anything. Mm -hmm. We are just in cancer because that's where a lot of data is generated. So once there are lots of data for aging research, then you can just port everything over. You can run your same RNA seq, hmm. NGS, everything, same analysis, <laughs> simulation signatures of aging. aging. Why not? Like yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah, you can just port over. Field, I'm sorry. Why the interest in in this field? In aging. In what field? Aging. Okay. I don't know. I, I I like to understand things and I feel that aging is one of the things that is still very uh not understood. And aging is involved in every disease, honestly. I, I saw this talk, I I forgot where, but the guy was saying that uh even if you solve everything about cancer, right, you will only extend life by three more years on average. The true killer is still your age. When you're older, you're more prone to everything. 
Hmm. Even physical, if you, if you fall, you don't you don't repair your bones. That physical also, your immune system is weaker. Everything everything is aging, but we don't see it as something that can be conquered. You know, like we view aging as just part of the process, yeah. but there are some people also view aging as a disease that can be cured. Yeah, but this is still a rather new idea. So a lot of the aging research is in this idea of like whether we can extend life, slow down aging, or even like reverse. But that one's a bit controversial. Reversing aging is a whole other topic. There's a lot of ethics involved, politics also. But slowing down is, yeah, I think that's a very interesting thing. I think it might happen in the next, I don't know, few decades. Yeah. So yeah, aging. Yeah, it does seem quite interesting. I don't know, I guess something about the audacity of it or yeah like it I think it has gripped a lot of people's attention I, I find that space quite interesting too I think for a while early on in my PhD because Dennis is like a telomere lab I did try to mm-hmm. push it it just didn't land so I kind of gave up because uh, we don't really have the expertise in it um, yeah but yeah cool thing aging but of... telomere is so involved in aging telomere is involved but the things we yeah. do is not uh, directly linked or I suppose uh, we don't have the right tools to study the aging side of things. Like like you said, in some ways, it's just easy to work with like cancer cells. Um, yeah. And all that. But yeah, there's some interesting philosophical debates there as well. I don't know if you want to go into that. but <laughs> Oh, I love that debate. I have so many topics. I don't know if you are ready for that. Oh, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's go then. Oh. We can do a short segment. <laughs> Fine. I'll, I'll set you up. What, okay. Why, why should you... I guess the common pushback you get from a lot of people is that why would you even want to extend life, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. unnatural. Uh, shouldn't we just die when we die? Uh, why we... are we like messing with uh, I don't know God's will? Mm. Or I guess if you're not if you're not uh, theistic, then why are we like going against nature? Why do you even want to live longer? That's not my position. I just want to mm-hmm. know what what you think. We have been going against nature with medicine. If not, we will all be dying at thirty or forty. So our life has already extended. Without the extension, we wouldn't have cancer. Because cancer mm-hmm. is mostly a result of all these aging stuff also. So we have already been doing that. It's just, just continue doing it. <laughs> yeah, like taking a vaccine, you're also you're defending yourself. Taking medicine, like, so in the past, when the there's zero medicine, like I'm talking like real past, like super like BCs. If, if you are sick, you don't get well from some random flower some guy gives you, you die, then you're you're gone at age 20. I don't know. But now mm-hmm. you can actually you have hospitals, you have doctors, you have everything like you have proper food also. You can actually recover and your life extend. And we also have people that are born with I don't know, like disabilities. Yet they can still live on and contribute to society, right? With a full lifespan. You think back then they can, they can't, right? They will just die off, right? Natural selection, right? But now we have mm-hmm. our own way of selection. We go against natural selection with all our technology. So we are already doing that. So I don't get the... I don't get yeah. the... Yeah, like when people say, why are we trying to extend our life? We, we did it already. Life. Yeah, <laughs> you're just I, redefining now what is, what is supposed to be natural. Yeah, I, I think usually there's a sub-question of why do we think living longer is valuable like why is living to 150 maybe ambitious but let's just say why is that better than living till 80 
I'm, I'm going to ignore this aspect of a lot of people think it means turning 80 and then being mm -hmm. like old and fragile till 150. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like being healthy and young, like having a longer health span as opposed to lifespan. Uh, but mm -hmm. even then, I think some people have this question of, I don't know what I'll do for another 80 years if you give it to me. And I think they have this intuition that almost things are better when it's shorter, which I find very perplexing because I'm very sold on the fact that a longer life would be more fulfilling, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's where this intuition kind of falls mm. apart for many people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's the main thinking. It, it's basically also a question of uh, what does it mean to if you can live up to like 200, for example? Do you still graduate at the same age? Do you still get married at the same age? Do you have just one family or do you have multiple careers? So that's the that's a whole other thing. Like, I, I don't tend to think about that because I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's yeah. more like what society will evolve to accept. So at least yeah. for my case, I'm more interested in whether can we do it, not whether should we do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? I see, I see. Yeah, I, but I like, I, the, think... I like thinking about like what happens like, so if you can live to 200, what does like, what does that mean? Does it just do we just scale everything proportionally? So teenagehood is now up to forty, then young <laughs> yeah. adult is like fifty to eighty. Yeah, I don't know. I I personally am very excited because like I feel like everything that gives you some sort of value in life, right? Like you can, it can be relationships, friendships, your career. You just have so much longer to work on them and build them. I feel like you can have. You know, like if you're a researcher, imagine working on a problem for a hundred years and still being able to continue working on that. I think you will you'll be pushing frontiers of knowledge to the next level. But it's also true for friendships. Like I feel like objectively, if I've known someone for 40 years compared to 20 years, that would be a deeper friendship, right? I would get yeah. more value out of it. Um yeah, so I'm I'm very fairly on the I think we should do it, but <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody. Do you I think one I think the one of the main issue is uh there won't be space on earth. <laughs> I mean, I guess you you don't you still have two kids and then you wait, right? I don't know if you would scale up the number of kids you have. You will be a great, great, great grandparent. And... No, I mean like you wait longer, maybe have kids at sixty instead of having them at twenty. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how uh, Yeah, so yeah. So so how how does life extension work, right? Is it like exactly how we are now and then we get a plus 100 years or yeah. everything scale proportionally? Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, the female reproductive system also needs to do something. <laughs> mm. Can't be like till 20, 30 years and then you're living till 200. Ooh, I have no idea how that works even. Like how does menopause... I don't know. What's, what's menopause start? back then? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Because like, now menopause is were dying at twenty, before. then there was no menopause. Oh, yeah. Really? Is menopause like I'm a not, modern I don't thing? Know the actual thing, but I'm just thinking. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe no one just lived long enough to yeah to know experience most people. <laughs> most people. Okay, that's gonna be something I'll Google later had one it just oh. i just wrote down ambition comma doing big things does yeah. that inspire you to say something ambition i i don't know yeah. honestly i live life one way at a time <laughs> Fair enough. sprint lifestyle urges urges <laughs> mostly urges <laughs> <laughs> not many plans yeah 
I don't, I don't have good. much plans. There are big plans. I used to have big plans. Like mm. during my poly, I was like, I'm gonna get a Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Then I'm oh, like, damn. Nah. I'm <laughs> gonna like, be the. I th- I just want to have an impact. Manhattan Project. <laughs> you? You're gonna you, be the. Like, you you. No. Be the next Oppenheimer. <laughs> I just want to do something that uh has an impact. I guess. Mm-hmm. You you have a legacy, something you leave by, like even when you are gone, this your ideas are still here, like mm-hmm. hopefully good ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah I do feel impactful. like having like having somewhat fuzzy slash ambiguous plans, like like something you just said, right? It it can be even be as as vague as I just want to make some impact, and then not fixing the details can be quite useful because. What the hell do you even know about what's gonna happen, right? Yeah. Things are gonna change, yeah. but you should also be driven towards something. So I guess it's about balancing those two. Cool. Okay, we thought we'd wrap up with um, talking about TikTok. Hmm. You have it? a TikTok account. I yes, I do have. What? Please uh-huh. describe it. What? What is the content of this TikTok? Actually, I've never seen. Have you seen any of his stuff? Um, I, I have seen it. Yeah, I've never you have seen, seen it. Doing. I have seen it. You just <laughs> silently view it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I have this small soft toy that I make TikToks with. <laughs> it's a sheep. Oh. With one eye. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I need to see this. Yeah, you can check that out. I can send you the link yeah. later. Yeah, mm. we'll we'll put it in yeah. the in the description. In the Let's make you in the description. <laughs> Yeah, just random stuff with the sheep. Uh, I got it as a gift from my girlfriend for my birthday this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just started using it as a TikTok mascot. Cool. Make silly stuff. It's just a way to de-stress. <laughs> but yeah. not, not much recently. I don't really do that much anymore. I see. Is th- yeah. Was it this year that you started? Yeah, this year. Around March or April. Uh, It has two eyes. To begin with, right. now he only has one eye. <laughs> what did you do? I, I I accidentally pulled one eye off. I don't know how. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so I didn't see the two. I only saw it with one eye, and I assume it's a very old toy because of that for some reason. No. I didn't know you just got it this year. No, I just got it this year. Yeah. Yeah. TikTok. TikTok was fun. Yeah. Get a lot of things on TikTok favorite now. Favorite memes that's on your mind lately. Favorite meme not no, it's not not much. Eh. Mm. I don't a lot of memes I don't remember. Eh. They just happen. True. You laugh you and, and it's gone. You forget them. Yeah. yeah. I get a lot of news from memes though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when big events happen, I, I know it through memes. Yeah, the queen died. Yeah, the queen died. Yeah. I saw a meme about the queen dying. They said when the queen dies, the big band would explode. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I saw that post. I'm like, wait, what? The queen actually died? I saw the comments. People are like, RIP. <laughs> like, oh, she, she actually died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It goes out of news. Okay. Cool. Can, yeah, I guess we can nice. wrap it there. Mm-hmm. That's a good conversation. Good conversation. Hope you yes. enjoyed it as well. There are a lot of good topics. We can do more next time if you want. There are yeah, so yeah, many yeah. good topics. 100%, yeah. 100%. Awesome. We, we do a, a repeat episode soon. <laughs>